Okay, very excited. Back here with uh, Libby Bacalar, Libby and Landfield. We're back. We're back. How's it going, Jeff? Pretty good. We're here in Juno. I'm in my new office, which you had a little trouble finding. You were in the wrong building. Well, you told me to go to the barbershop, and there's two different barbershops. That's the problem. I went to the Capitol Barbershop building, not this one. This is the other barbershop. That's this the is... other barbershop. So I got here. This is my first uh, time in this uh, office, and I rented it, so... A little easier now, but first podcast in the new office. Oh my god, I'm the inaugural podcast in you're, your new Juno office. You are the inaugural podcast, and you're you're actually really close. You're that's your building right there. That's you can touch, you can almost touch it. You can, yeah. For, I work for, in the assembly building. So you've been there for you're doing the you're the lawyer for the city of Bethel, right? Yep, I've been doing that for three two years now. Be two years in March. How's, how's that going? It's good. It's really good. You good you time. and that uh, Mark Springer character, huh? He's the mayor. Good dude. He's he's my he's my not so much buddy on Twitter. <laughs> Is there one of your Twitter nemesi? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you, accurate. You seem to be collecting a lot of those. I do. It's daily. And it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't go down. It only goes up. It, yeah, like, right. It never goes down. So first thing I want to talk about is your your case, which has been in the news for the last three, I guess, three years, right? On and off, yeah. And, and I was actually there in Anchorage with the ACLU press conference where, and, and, and you put this on Twitter, so I'll just bring it up. I guess you had had some... Some drinks before the night oh, before, man. or some Ativan. I was or something. not. I was not doing well that morning. Yeah, I think it was. You know, that whole thing was the worst, probably non-death experience of my life. And so, yeah, the night before that press conference, I'd had a couple drinks for sure, a couple Ativans to deal with the nerves in the morning. And I was and you were looking. Sta- you were. I was looking the part, unfortunately. You were in a ho- you were staying like in a hotel because you you live in Juno, so you came to Anchorage for the press conference, right? For the lawsuit with the two API doctors, right? And then they kept they keep using the picture of you kind Ugh, of I know. So embarrassing. Thing. Whatever. I mean, fortunately I'm beyond any kind of shame or being embarrassed, or otherwise I would be like, these are terrible pictures and I don't actually care. So 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 with <laughs> with, with my I sued the governor too uh, last year on the First Amendment grounds and the press conferences and kind of due process. And and my thing went so fast because we asked for an injunction and, and we you know we got it and it moved. But your thing and like most cases, it seemed to have just taken, I mean, it's been going on for three years. Yeah, so it took what, a really long time. What's your lawyer? What's like, talk about how uh, why some things move so fast and other things don't move, they move so slow. Well, like you said, when you're asking for an injunction um, and you're working as a press person down here in Juneau, it's really urgent that you get access to those press conferences. So the court's going to grant you expedited relief. In my situation, you know, it's just a regular employment case. Granted, it has this big constitutional angle, but there's nothing emergent about it. So it's just going to take the snail's pace that civil, all civil litigation just takes forever. So, so there was the API doctors, which was kind of similar um, case, similar, right. similar issues, but different different case. They, you guys weren't combined. They were, they were separate, right? Right. At the beginning, the ACLU tried to get them combined, and the judge denied that motion, which in the end I think was good. Because what ended up happening is um, the psychiatrist case was decided under one line of free speech cases in this U.S. Supreme Court. My case was decided under another type of free speech case. And what ended up happening is that the effect of the two cases together was that the entire resignation scheme that Babcock and Dunleavy uh, developed at the beginning of their administration was invalidated on multiple grounds. So what's the difference between what happened with you and the doctors? So the doctors didn't submit their resignations at all. 
um, they said, you know, we're not resigning. We think this is wrong. And so because of that, um, they're for reasons that are kind of too complicated to get into and kind of inside baseball and the Supreme Court case law. But their case was decided on the grounds that the resignation demands themselves were coercive speech and a, a patronage scheme, um, meaning like a loyalty pledge, basically, well, that they rightfully refused to sign and exercising their First Amendment rights. They were entitled not to sign the resignation. And you signed it. Yeah. So in my case, I submitted the resignation letter that was like a template. And Tuckerman Babcock said in his deposition that it was he didn't like the tone of it or it was arrogant or something. And oh my God, he was deposed. Yeah. Can I get a hold of that? Yeah, it's a public record. You can ask Mark Chope for it. Like the video? Like the video? No, it it's a transcript. Wait, was he like, you know how these famous cases where they're like, they get the videotape? It wasn't and it, a video. It was not videoed. It was all on, um, well, maybe it was videoed. I don't know. It could have been. I don't know. You know these like famous kind of cases where they get yeah. deposed and then you they're You can watch of, it on YouTube who's, later. Who's, who's the one that's like, oh my God, there's like an asshole that was really a big prick. It was a, there's a lot of them. It was like a big, oh man, who was it? It was like a big millionaire, billionaire person and they were just like, they were, oh, you know fuck you, don't recall. And then the lawyer's like, hey, man, like, I'm trying to remember who that was. But, you know, some of these resurface sometimes and yeah. they get leaked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a public record. I think, I, I feel like somebody else asked my lawyer for it at one point. So, you know, you could always I ask gotta him gotta get that deposition. That's, I'm gonna make a note, <laughs> a mental note right now. <laughs> yeah, so in his deposition, he said it was all about my resignation letter, which was a weak thing. So did you say. submit a letter, like, was that an additional step? Because people were asked to just basically signed the thing. I mean, did they, did you have to submit your own letter too, or did you do that extra? So we were all asked to submit letters and the AG gave us a template to use at the department of law. And I, and used, you went full Libby. I no, I used the same template everybody else used. Oh, so you, you didn't write your own, like, no, I mean, I added like, um, you know, whom all my clients were, all the different agencies I'd represented. I did say I was resigning under duress because um, the chief of staff had said we would all be fired if we didn't do this. Um, so I think in his deposition, he said something like that was like a poke in the eye or that was arrogant or something. And the judge said, well, first of all, somebody with who used the, almost the exact same language didn't get fired. Also, she's just restating the convoluted premise of the resignation scheme. She's not being arrogant or rude. She's literally repeating what you said in the paper. Was so during, during the case of this um, whole tr trial or this whole case, did they ever... Um, bring up your Twitter. Like, was that ever oh. brought up? Or I know it was kind of before they, the Suzanne Donald, oh, she's on Twitter, blah, blah. But was this kind of like... No, I mean, it was mostly my... Well, yeah, it was blog, Twitter, Facebook. You know, my whole social media presence was at the root of the case. So, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff came up over the past three years. So now that the judge granted you, basically, you said you're right. Now, now what's the... Because the doctors, they already settled. And there's, I guess, questions about... Can the governor use the state state money for yeah, that? Yeah, that's going to be a tricky one. I, yeah, they got about half a million, quarter million bucks each, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that qualified immunity piece of it. Um, I'm actually glad that's not an issue in my case, and that the judge didn't find uh, loss of qualified immunity in my case because that's an additional complication that I don't. What is the difference because you you signed it? No, it's just that there's no case law um, on point for my case, whereas there was case law clearly on point for the psychiatrist case. So it was not reasonable, according to the judge, for them to basically violate that clear law, whereas mine was a little bit more fuzzy. So so what's what's going going forward now? What's the what's the status? Do you have to have a trial or do you have to negotiate with the 
Dunleavy administration or what's the deal? Well, both. Yeah. I mean, it's set, it's going towards a damages trial. I mean, that's the next phase. It's like the sentencing phase in a criminal case, kind of. Is that a judge, judge it's by a, himself or a jury? It's a jury. You could, now you can, if both sides agree, it can be the judge, right? Yeah. But do you want a jury? Yeah, I think it's going to be a jury if it goes to trial. You know, very few cases go to trial. I'm not going to speculate on. Did you see the Palin one? It was in trial. I saw. It was in the deliberation, and then the judge Mm -hmm. uh, nixed it. Yeah. He said he didn't find that she. As a matter of law, yeah. Yep. Yeah. For for malice and, and, you know, intended malice and harm. Right. There is a certain legal standard for uh, for defamation, and I guess she didn't meet it. So, I mean, your thing could be if it does go to trial, that could be. Right now, the trials are kind of in limbo because of the COVID situation. And the criminal trials, I was doing some research and I'm working on an article. I mean, there's like over half of the, the defendants right now or people in jail right now are unsentenced. Yeah, I know. Some it's of them tough. are just not even tried for or haven't had trials. Yeah, it's a mess. COVID really threw a monkey wrench in the whole jury trial system. This is a federal case, so it'd be a federal jury in Juneau if it happened, not a state th- jury. Those are actually going uh, more. The, fe- the federal juries are actually kind of been happening. Yeah. The state ones are the ones that have been more, more affected. Yeah. There's so, just more of them, I think. So, I mean, I don't know how much you can talk about. I mean, do you want to settle it? Do you want to go to the jury? Like, what do you what do you want to do? Uh, I don't want to speculate too much on that because it is sort of, you know, in flux right now. I mean, you know, the state hasn't approached me with an offer. So, as it's far as I like, know. It's kind of like rolling the dice. Like, maybe they give you like five million bucks. I don't think so. But then, but then <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, no, if it's too much... Some of these things, if it's too much, the judge can kind of say, wait a minute, that's not, right? That, yeah, that's- I think there are caps, and, like, I don't fully understand it, actually, because I don't do a lot of, like, personal injury or tort stuff, plaintiff stuff. That's why, you know, Mark is my lawyer, and I'm not my own lawyer. And you had switched, because like, it was ACLU originally, but then yeah. you had switched and gone yeah. to this, this, this Mark, 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 who's a Juno lawyer who's pretty well known. Yeah, so... Um, and I also got some appellate lawyers in Minnesota to... Uh, brief all the issues and basically do most of the briefing in the case. So they work closely with Mark on that. You know, he's kind of a trial lawyer. There are more appellate lawyers and there is a couple different components to this case. There's a trial component where you have to do all the things to prepare for trial and understand damages claims. And then there's the briefing side of it where you have to be kind of more of an academic wonk to brief these First Amendment issues. So there was a, after you got fired, there was a period of time where you we're working and then not, you got a job. So I mean, it's part of that kind of consideration while well, she's been working for. Yeah. All years. of that goes to the question of like, you know, what, what my damages would be, you know, what, whether I mitigated them, didn't mitigate them, how much I made, how much I didn't emotional distress, like that kind of thing. There's a whole bunch of different categories. There's attorney's fees. Um, so at this phase, it's just about dollars and cents and also potential injunctive relief. Like you saw in the ACLU settlement, there was a passage in there about not uh, doing anything like this again, you know, mm-hmm. something that could enjoin the state from future that, that, demands. That was your, I mean, we talked about this before, but your whole intent always was was to prevent this from happening again. A hundred percent. I mean, what I wanted for the past three years was for a federal judge to say this was wrong. This was illegal. This was unconstitutional. And for him to say this cannot ever happen again. Um you know, I don't want to see this ever happen to another state employee. So, well, we'll be, we'll be, I'll be watching. I mean, it's uh, when that decision came out, it was pretty big. It was kind of everywhere. It was all over the media. I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not making any uh, 
uh, claims, but when my decision came out, it was really like the ADN. That was all I got. I mean, nobody. <laughs> I got WAPO and Reuters. <laughs> I got. Baby. I got. I don't. I don't. I didn't get much. I got like, ADN, which was great. But you know, they were kind of like, uh, "Fuck him." You know? Well, everyone likes a, a David and Goliath. You know, Trump bat. Trump. I think Bloomberg News said Trump bashing lawyer mostly wins free speech suit. That was yes, probably yeah. my favorite headline. That was hilarious. What'd you call him? The some orange or. The fascist cantaloupe. Fascist cantaloupe. And Edward yeah. Cheeto hands. Che- yeah, that's the cheat. Yeah. That's I'm the- glad those two things are now forever enshrined in a federal judicial order. That's just my favorite thing. Right, so in my case, so I, we, we sued in state court, and then the Dunleavy folks moved it to federal court, mm-hmm. which my lawyers kind of joked, like they made a federal case out of me going to press conferences. And yep. then, you know, it kept going and going and going. And my lawyers kept saying the whole time, like, this is bizarre. And then they finally, we got the permanent injunction from a Trump appointed judge, Judge Kindred. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they appealed it. The Dunleavy folks actually appealed it to the Ninth Circuit, which is the court they really hate. Yeah. And then they actually, after that, they kind of decided we would, you know, we would settle on, you know, they they came came to the table on it. But um, there was some stuff from Twitter that was like introduced into the case, like some really funny stuff. Same kind of thing where it's like, it's like in the, or, or some of the things I've written and you know, over, over time, it's like in the, you know, it's in the case now. Well, you know, and that always just kind of struck me as so funny and weird, you know, like the state, this administration is so like fake offended and fake pious about that kind of stuff. Like, look at what they said on Twitter, my God, you know, and it's just kind of like, give me a break. Well, and I just it's had a thing last 2022. week. 2022. I just had a thing two weeks ago, and this is part of the like understanding the newer media, changing media, and that's part of my, my trial was... Like what's what's traditional media, and then you know, they they say non traditional media, and the judge at some point said, "Well, what does that mean?" Like, yeah. So so things are changing. So you're saying only traditional media has access to these press conferences? That, There's absolutely not, no way to draw a right. line like that. The judge was a hundred percent right not to draw that kind of line. And um, but but two weeks ago there was a little thing on the Senate floor which was like didn't, didn't really matter, right? It was just kind of a stupid thing. There was trying to they were voting on that um, compensation commission report. On you know changing this compensation for legislators, oh and right, right. They right. pretty much like overwhelmingly said we don't want to you know do that, but the Senate was going to vote on it, and then Laura Reinbold and Mike Schauer weren't there, and it turns out they met thirty minutes earlier than normal, but everybody else was there, and you know, I got a tip from a senator that that you know Schauer they were mad because Schauer said he was going to vote for it and Reinbold, but they didn't show up, and they were there was there was basically the the theory or the because because Hughes tried to excuse Schauer and Costello objected, which is kind of weird. So there was this theory that like, oh, if they don't vote, they can they can say they didn't vote for it. You know, they they didn't vote yes, they didn't vote at all, and then they have the ability to say we didn't we didn't vote for the we didn't vote against the report. You know, to raise this anyway. So I hear from a senator, I tweet out that Shower was gone, Reinbold, and that they were trying to you know dodge the vote again, mm-hmm. which they've done before. Shower before has not tried to show up to the floor to, to, to not vote. He's mm-hmm. tried to not vote basically. And he, like, the next couple of days later, went on this thing on the floor and was talking about, oh, fake news and blah, 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 and press pass. And, and I was talking to the rules chair about it, and I was like, it was a tweet. Right. Like, it was Twitter, you know. And right. these, some people don't seem to understand, like, a news article that's researched and, you know, stating something in a fucking tweet about well, something that's kind of going on in real time. And even a more subtle departure from that or variation on that theme is the difference between an op-ed and editorial, you know, and an article that's reporting. Yeah. I mean, people don't understand that either. I mean, everything is now hot takes and op-eds and all of this stuff. I mean, for my part, I never pretended to be doing journalism, certainly. I mean, I was just mouthing off, you know, about my opinions. You? You were? <laughs> that's a sh- I know. Shocker. <laughs> it's hard to believe, right? 
So, so I want to talk about this other thing. You, you had posted like a series of pictures over your life. Now, somebody had commented, there was a comment about your looks or something, right? Or somebody made People some... People are always commenting about... Oh, somebody said somebody something specifically sent me, about... Somebody sent me a really psychotic email. I had a tweet totally unrelated to Trump or anything that went viral about like burning down the patriarchy or something. And I got this. Oh, e- God. Oh God. This e- yeah, oh God. I know. Oh God. Here we go. Right. We'll talk we go. about that next. We, I know you and I have a, have a split of my, a split of opinion on some of that stuff. But in any case, I, you know, I, I said something like, you know, the first rule of burning down the patriarchy is to not use other women for kindling. And he said, I got this just email out of the blue from this like random dude that was, it went on and on and on. It was like one of these like, psycho kind of manifesto scary incel emails and in it he was like oh god you look like you've benefited from your looks and your youth and you know you're about to see the other side of that coin and I was like I don't think so and I like posted a picture of myself in my 20s which was not my best decade (laughs) so I gotta say I mean you posted like four like a series of pictures from like 20 to now right I posted two from my twenties and then two from yeah. now. Yeah. So I mean, I got to say, current Libby, like, like, wait, you know, you've gotten hotter. Thank you. you no, know, that's. I mean, Thanks. Can I, can I say that? Am I going to get? In, no. Am I getting canceled? Not gonna get, you're not getting canceled. I don't believe in canceling. The, the one picture was kind of believe like, it or not. It was a little bit I, me either. The one picture was like a little bit blurry, but you kind of. I mean, you just you were twenty maybe. You it just. I was like, hmm, is that is that, is that even you? I know. It I look like you. I know. I know. I've I've improved with age. I'm like a little bit of a it's that Chardonnay vibe. It's like a fine wine. Yeah, there you go. So uh other thing I want to talk about is now if you're watching what's happening in Canada and that's kind of crossed over to the United States and Europe, these pro you know, these trucker rally. We had the big one in Anchorage last week. There was one in Juneau a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, I heard it from my window. Which if I I didn't, I heard about it. I wasn't like aware of it. I, I was, tweeted about it. I was like, I love to see it. I love to see people using their First Amendment rights. I have no problem with that. So you're, you're, you're one of the consistent like people who, 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 because a lot of people are mad and they think it shouldn't be allowed and they're freaking out and they want to stop no, I'm it. All f- I'm all for it. You know, I, I generally, and I want to cite one exception to this where I've been ideologically inconsistent. For the most part, I subscribe to the belief that the answer to any kind of speech is more speech. It's not curtailing anybody's speech. Well, this is like the Joe Rogan thing now. Yeah, right? I, that whole Spotify thing I thought was silly too. Like I, I still have Spotify. I don't think that spot. I was not going to boycott Spotify because of Joe Rogan. Or I mean, it's Neil Young's right to leave Spotify. It's any artist's right to do that. I just think, first of all, Spotify is not the government, so the First Amendment has nothing to do with this. But my point yeah. is, like, if you're going to, you know, at least in in government and First Amendment jurisprudence, there is this adage that the answer to more to speech that you find offensive is more speech to counter it, not to make somebody else shut up. That being said, I did kind of, you know, as you recall from a year or two ago, raise a stink about the Nazi license plates. And that was because the state already had rules in place to not allow vanity plates with obscenities on them, like... You know, you can't get like big dick on a license plate. You can't get, you know, F you mm-hmm. like you so should. Some people have managed to squeak by with some weird ones. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, like the obvious ones. Get, like, I think, you know, you can go to the website and search and type something in and it'll say like, like, fu- like fuck you. And then right. they will say like not allowed or. So it poses an interesting question because the First Amendment, right? It's not absolute, right? Like there is there are time, place and manner restrictions. You have to ask yourself, well, does the state really have to assist and provide a mobile platform for neo-Nazism, right? If they're going to not let you curse on a license plate, why are they going to let you put neo-Nazism slogans on a license plate? You can just get a sticker and put that on your car. You don't need the state to help you with that. 
but it is a slippery slope. Like See, generally, I, I, I have mixed. I mean, I, I do. I, I have I, mixed feelings. I, I, I kind of feel too. like you know whatever should be allowed, but then. You know, if a kid, I mean, I understand that like a kid might see it or some, you know, obviously people see it, it's a license plate, but I agree with you. I mean, it's like, where do you start? Where, who draws the line and where do you draw the it's line? It's very hard. And so generally, I don't think there should be a line for the most part. Um, I kind of made an exception ideologically in my own mind with that one, because to me, it's just like really promoting hate and really promoting violence. And, you know, all of my tweeting about, you know, Eastman's, um, neo-Nazism, I fully recognize he has the right to those views. I mean, it actually presents a really interesting constitutional question because there's this whole disloyalty clause in the Alaska Constitution, which is arguably unconstitutional under the federal constitution, First Amendment. So this has never been litigated. It probably never will be. But it's a very interesting, I mean, for someone who's academically interested in this kind of stuff, which I am, it really presents some interesting questions. Well, this is a whole much different, I mean, this is not in any way really, I guess it's in some ways related, but it's not the same thing. But I mean, the the whole revolution was, in the country was people going against the government. They they were part of. Yeah. They were subjects of this government. And they said, fuck it, we're going to, you know. So it's, it's, it's obviously a whole different scenario, but you know, who, who, who's to, you know, who's to say the rules on that? Are you suggesting that the Oath Keepers are the Revolutionary Army? I'm not suggesting that at all, no. <laughs> I'm just saying that throughout history, weird things, you know, things have happened. Yeah, and, I mean, it, it's... And it's important. If you read a lot of history books. and we, you know, I read a lot of history books. I mean, look, it's like you cannot... I think it's human nature to want to put things in categories, to want to put everything in a box, to want to make everything binary, black and white, neatly fit everything somewhere. The reality is every situation is shades of gray. There's a million different factors at play. There's different concerns, different facts, different con- historical context. Um, you can't really like create these bright line rules for a lot of this like stuff this all dis- the time. This disloyalty thing, like who decides that? Does the government, like does the division of elections decide that? Well, that's the is, is, that's is a really a, good question. Is it I a mean, recallable offense? Is it? You know, is it something the legislature would deal? I mean, we, no one really knows the. No it's, one it's, knows. It's, it's easy to say, oh, you're it's disloyalty clause. Stop. Okay, get get rid of it. Well, who does that? How does that happen? Right. So it's a really interesting question, right? Because I, you go back to the the way you research something like that is you go back to the constitutional convention minutes and you read what the delegates said about this and why they have it in there. I haven't done that, so I don't know what it says, but that's the first thing I would do. And then there's an issue of separation of powers. I mean, think, right? think about it. 1959. You know, Cold War. It was 55. Well, adopted in 50. Okay, but still Statehood 55. Statehood was 59. Yeah, so, so yeah. right, 55. So cold, I mean, cold, that was starting of the Cold War. Yeah, people were scared of, of Red, communism. Red scare. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it had to do with, you know, it could have had to do it with that. Quite likely could have had to do with that. So, but it's a what's good for the goose is good for the gander, those, I guess. Those, 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 I mean, those reds. <laughs> I mean, right? It's like, you know, they meet full circle with the overthrowing the government oath keepers, I guess. But that's, you know, it's an interesting question, like whether that clause in the state constitution would survive scrutiny under the First Amendment federal constitution, which, of course, uh, sets the floor for individual rights. You can always give more, but you can't take take more away. Like my take, my, my take on the Eastman thing, and I've, I've written this down, I've said this, I mean, the, 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 the guy keeps getting elected. He's kind of, in many ways, a nuisance. He has real no real power or influence. I mean, he can speak, and he does that a lot, and he can introduce amendments, and he can, you know, kind of draw the clock out on things or waste time. But really in the end of the day, like he doesn't have any real power or influence or ability to do anything. So the, the more people 
go after him and, and try to make a martyr, you know, try to get rid of him, which makes a martyr out of him in some ways. Potentially. The, the more it helps him. I mean, the more he, I think he likes all this attention. I mean, that's totally an argument and that's a legitimate argument. For me, I think it's worth it because I think he is a, a very toxic white supremacist of, and not that the way that term gets used, tossed around, it gets tossed around. I understand that. But like, I mean, pe- pe- people say, people say that a lot. I mean, he's, he's obviously shared some, Weird, weird things. He said some, he's vote, take some, taken some votes. Um, Did you, you know. read that piece by his former classmate, that Rebrook article from the Midnight Sun? I, I, yeah, he, I, they sent it to me too. I didn't want to publish it. I didn't think ADM published it either. I didn't think it was, I mean, it was such harsh. It was such a charge that without, you know, if I, if I believe that 100% you were scared that you I approve. You scared no, I just, you were going to go pale and you scared you were going to go New York Times No, I wasn't scared of that. I just, I just think when you're making such an accusation as a charge of calling somebody a, a Holocaust denying white supremacist neo Nazi. I mean, he hasn't I, I, denied it. He hasn't denied it but, once. But, well, he hasn't. I, I you have to prove. You have to prove somebody. No, but it's like you if you to, went if you went over there and asked him right now, he wouldn't deny it, for real. If I said, if I said, are you a white supremacist he Holocaust denying? He'd say, he, he'd he say, absolutely would not say no. I guarantee you. If you got him, if you got him to answer that question, he would not deny any of that stuff. Well, I'll ask him. I, you should. But but like I said, all this stuff it just brings more attention to the guy that I don't think is, is, is really worth it. Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said for exposing the fact that there is like a hardcore Aryan nation dude in the legislature just for the sake of being like, this is what we're tolerating. And again, he's entitled to have that free speech. I'm entitled to complain about it at the top of my no, compl- complain, uh, Complaining, I have no problem with people complaining about it, but this kind of effort to get him you know, kicked out of the legislature, removed... Um, that was the initial initial right because of the whole oath keepers thing expel him which is well but i don't think anybody's suffering under any delusions that that's going to happen i mean this legislature can't accomplish anything i mean what are they going to do well the funny part is they couldn't even remove him from committees i know they can't do anything i mean this is like the most dysfunctional body probably in the country so (laughs) it's 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 pretty bad it's really bad so it's like you know the idea that they're going to accomplish anything is like pretty much a a close call at every session. It's like everyone's biting their nails. Are they even going to pass a budget, which is the one job they have? Well, and so. I, you know, I, 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 I talked about this a lot, but this new, new, you know, rank choice thing. And what does that do? Do who gets, who gets elected? Do, do more reasonable people get elected or, or, or do, or do more one scenario I've, I've thought about or talked about with folks, Joel Hall brought, Joel Hall brought this up. What if you get a whole bunch of independent type people elected who all they have in common is they aren't part of a party, but they have nothing else in common. You know, if you, if you have five or six or seven people in the house that get elected who are kind of not party affiliated, who are all over the map, and their only shared trade is we're not party affiliated, mm-hmm. it could it could be potentially even harder. Well, to my organize. my counter to that is how much harder, how much worse could it really get? I mean, you're talking about party party membership is just down. You know, I think young people don't want to join political parties, well, and, and not even. You know, party's part, but also just ideological kind of positions. But I mean, I just think it's like a very old model. You know, I, you know, I've gotten into Twitter beefs about this with diehard party people on both sides of the aisle. And the one thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on is they don't like rank choice voting because it neuters the party system. And then, you know, they're beefing hard with me on Twitter about this, that, and the other. And I'm kind of like, my response is, you're castigating me on Twitter right now. You're yelling at me because I don't want to be part of your club and you're blaming the voters because they don't want to be part of your club. You have to look inward and ask yourself, 
why is your club something that people don't want to yeah, belong no, I mean, to? I'm, I'm no, I'm no fan. I, I quit the Republican Party. Uh, you're not, you know, I've been undeclared. My, I've never been a member of a political party in my life. I've always been. Yeah, I was a Republican. I was Libertarian for a while, and then you know years ago. But now I'm just I'm, I'm nonpartisan. I, I have just, no I interest. Want, I want no part of it either. I don't want any part of it. I have no interest in it, and I just feel like it. Do, and and frankly, I just don't think it's serving democracy. I mean, it's like. You know, nothing is getting done now. What's going to get done under ranked choice voting? More of nothing? Okay, well, then you haven't lost anything because how do you go down from nothing? Yeah, no, that's, um, it'll, <laughs> it'll be really interesting who, who ends up, you know, yeah, who ends up kind it, of it will be. winning. And, you know, the House the last two times has taken a month after session started to organize. Last time the Senate didn't or last year till like the first day. Right, which, and is this really, is which is really uncommon. I mean, normally it happens within a week or two of the election. But this is under the party system that's supposed to have everybody in, un- you know, in unity. And that's not working anymore. Well, I mean, you know, we, for, we're kind of for decades have been this Republican state. And Republicans for a long time kind of ran the show. There was that bipartisan period in the Senate for a while. But this is the first, I mean, I don't think it's ever taken this long, maybe going back to like, the 80s or something it's never it's always kind of things have always just happened the, the election happened and people more or less kind of figured it out and organized but this you know night you know 2019 was dunlavey got elected that was the first time where republicans couldn't figure it out remember they had the majority 2023 yeah and, but they had a few people that weren't you know weren't, weren't into it and um it, it just it just creates such a mess of trying to govern govern get the budget together mm-hmm. you know these subcommittees have to meet and other committees have to, you know, and it's just, it's, I mean, it's kind of fun being here to watch and it's entertaining, I guess, but it's, 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 it's all sad from a civic standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I don't, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know how it could be worse under ranked choice than it is right now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it could be, I, I, I'm just saying anything could happen, I guess. Yeah. And I, I hope it improves things. Um, I'm a big fan of the single primary because I think this, you, you worked for elections you're elections lawyer. I mean, every time it's like people, there's this, this question of like, somebody wants two ballots. Oh, it's so they, confusing. They can't get the right ballot because they aren't the right party. And it's really confusing. And, you know, the division of elections has to act as an arm of these parties to hand out the right ballots and basically enforce the party's bylaws for them and yeah. print out all these ballots. I mean, the open primary is going to be way less confusing to voters. I agree ranked choice is going to be a little more confusing in the general and take some getting used to. But yeah, I, I was, I represented division of elections for seven years and I, uh, help draft the ballot measure too, the ranked choice and open primary yeah. ballot measure. My, um, my, my only, my only, and I've, I've said this many times, my only issue with the ranked choice is, isn't the ranked choice itself. I mean, I think that that makes sense and, and it's, it's, it's logical the way it works. The issue is getting enough people, getting all the voters to understand it and be, be aware of it and go to the voting booth mm-hmm. with the knowledge of, okay, there's four people. I have to rank them. That's what, here's what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people are going to show up and, and not have any knowledge of it because people are busy and they have their own lives and most people aren't right. living politics. Okay. They show up and they say, what the fuck is this? What's going on? Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't seen the ballot design or the ballot artwork as they call it in the industry yet. <laughs> I haven't seen the ballot artwork yet. So I don't know what, it, what exactly it's going to look like. I haven't like scrutinized the latest sample of it, but Hopefully there'll be an effort on the part of the division of elections to educate the public. And I mean, they, you know, they say there is in the ballot measure too. Yeah. The, the group, the Alaskans for Better Elections, is still around. They're going to be doing it, and yeah. other groups. But I mean, it's just to me. To me, it's like the the primaries in what six months. Um, yeah. And but again, you know, turnout is so abysmal. Anyway, that it's like I think I I vaguely remember one year we were like we had the second highest turnout in the country during a presidential election, maybe. Um. 
and Maine was the top one, and we were the second. I can't remember. This must have been, it was either 12, 14, or 16, which were the three cycles that I worked on. Um, and the turnout was like less than 30% or something. Yeah, no, it's bad. I mean, the, it's really bad. Oh, the only time I think it goes over 50 is big presidential election where something's, you know, Palin, when she was on there, it was right. a lot of people voted. Yeah. And people are just dis- dis- I, I just think disaffected. To, 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 to educate any popu- populace or any group of people on something so major, it's one, it's a lot of money, and two, it's time. So yeah. primary is six months away. The general is, what, eight months away. Eight and a half, you know, less than a year away, for sure. So mm-hmm. I haven't, I mean, I've seen some cards in the mail. I've seen, a, you know, a couple videos on Twitter, YouTube, or whatever. But I don't know. I just, I just, um, I, my, 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 like, ultimate fear is just epic confusion. On election day and then it take you know last time we saw mm-hmm. it took a month to it was like a month to, for that us takes to figure, forever figure out our elections that was with the covid and we were like well, i think last in the country to certify to have the re- election results well and it also happens because we have a lot of early voting and we have two weeks after the election to get early by mail ballots returned we have a lot of overseas um you know military and overseas voters yeah but so, i mean florida has a lot of absentee because they have a lot of older people and they've they figured it out they, they, they were pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, but I don't think it's going to, it's certainly not going to get any faster. And now we have these election bills in the legislature and the governor's introducing bills. And you have, that's the other question is, is like, how can you live in a democracy where so many people just don't believe in the election results? I mean, this is a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah. And this is what happens in these countries where they just kind of say, well, people say, fuck it, we're going to you know start over. We're going to have a revolution. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, I think, you know, I read this book by Ann Applebaum called um, Twilight of Democracy. I read, I read that for my book club a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, it's really good. Great. I mean, the, the Hungary and Poland examples and even UK with Brexit. Yeah. it's So I think this is a global trend that we're seeing. There's sort of like an anti-democratic trend happening across Western Europe, in Eastern Europe, and and here too. And I think, you know, the 20, 2020 election was really like, the first election where that really like came home in the form of the January 6th riots and the just half the country basically thinking that the election was invalid and the incumbent president unwilling to cede the election and unwilling to commit to a peaceful transfer of power. I mean, that's just a norm. Like he he didn't didn't even, I mean, he didn't even show up. Clinton showed up. Hillary Clinton came with Bill Clinton, you know, to to his deal, which was like, I I mean, if it was me, I'd not try to done that, but she came to it. But it's just like shoplifting, right? Like nobody's stopping you from going into the drugstore, grabbing a handful of candy and walking out. It's not that hard. What's somebody going to do? Like run you down? Like you can do that. Like these are all norms that you have to just abide by to live in a society and like to live in a democracy. And well, I, I mean, I, in some in some in some cities in like Seattle and some of San Francisco, they I mean, have all these people stealing now because they've kind of made it. You can you, you can do that. You can t- if it's under a thousand bucks or whatever, you can just no big deal. Well, so my but my point speaking is speaking of norms. I mean, there's there's rules in place, and when you start saying, right. "Well, okay, yeah, you know, no big deal." Well, you can, particularly in the political world, though, there's a lot of like norms, like this idea that there's going to be this peaceful transition of power is like this gentleman's agreement, and Trump was just like, "Nope, not doing it." So I what mean, do you do then? Our whole system is like I agree with you. It's so it's so fragile. It's based on everybody just having. An agree an agreement on basic rules. Well, this is exactly why I felt yeah. like my litigation was important because the Constitution, as I've said many times, it's not a self-executing document. It's just a piece of paper. 
So if the government is going to violate your constitutional rights and you don't say anything and you don't do anything about it, it's like they didn't even exist. Well, just like in the tw- Twilight of Democracy, they talk about in, in Hungary with um, the Orb- uh, Hungary, or Hungary the, the Orban guy, and how, yeah. they, how they just kind of started fucking with the court, which was against the Constitution, and like, well, he did it, and that's it. I mean, well, nothing, no, no one did anything about it. There's nothing to stop it from happening if somebody does it and nobody, sto- like, that's exactly nobody actually right. stops it. Well, that's, I think, what, what we're seeing in this country is like the level of malfeasance that elected officials are willing to, and this kind of bleeds into the qualified immunity analysis, actually. The level of misconduct that people are willing to engage in overwhelms the enforcement mechanisms that are in place to stop it. Yeah. And so you can just say, well, I'm going to do this and let somebody call me out on it. I don't care. I mean, it's a very dangerous place to be. And that's what I'm saying. There's kind of like, there's a bug in the system, right? And the bug in the system is the, re- the reliance on good faith, which we cannot rely on, it appears. So, I mean, it's that's what's scary, is that you cannot legislate good faith. You can't legislate, really, you can't legislate ethics. You can't legislate character. Well, I mean, you know, Bill, Bill Maher gave a great example of, of a few months ago, um, Yugoslavia. You know, for a long time, they were kind of, held together by, by this Tito guy and they were, they had the, in Sarajevo in the 84, the Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, it was a great, it was, it was just this kind of great place. And they were like seven or eight kind of different, you know, other countries, but they were these kind of states that made up Yugoslavia. And 10 years later after the Olympics, it was a fucking war zone mm-hmm. and people were dead and there was like massive chaos and civil war and, you know, people getting murdered in the streets. And now it's been, fractured into like seven countries. Yeah, I mean, I think... You, you go from Olympics and amazing and everybody's like, wow, this is great, to civil war, murder, fracturing kind of new countries. Yeah, it's scary. Years. I mean, these are just... Because at the end of the day, it's just people, right? It's people making agreements to live in a certain way and to operate under certain rules. And when those people stop following those rules or change the rules or the people change, you know, everything gets upended. And I think we've, you know... Each of us only gets at most a hundred years on this earth to see any one snapshot in history, right? So, like, one of the reasons I like reading history so much is how good it is for perspective, mm-hmm. and it shows you that, oh wait, things have been crazy before. Like the nineteenth century was bonkers for so many reasons, and you know, and to some degree, I think you know we. Well, I don't know. I think you're a little younger than me, but for people who were born. After, nine, after Vietnam and before 9-11 in this country, I think there was a period of sort of do, general domestic tranquility in this country in those years. Yeah, I, mean, I was born in 84, and nothing really happened until I was 9-11 was the big one, you know, when exactly. I was so, like, junior I, in high school. So that we had like a little bit of a bubble then. Um, and and there, I, there was like, obviously there was like Bosnia and there was some of that, but that was kind of more just like t- on TV. Right, like now we're living through some stuff that's like, you know, 9-11 was the first, like, oh, shit, this is, like, on our soil. And now, of course, there's the pandemic, which is fully global. And there's this just general erosion of democratic norms that's happening here and all over the con- all over the world that's affecting America as well. Um, you know, I don't think we've had that in our lifetimes before, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened before or it's unusual. I mean, it, history is intense, and a lot of crazy shit goes down. There was a, I forget his name, he was... He's a journalist, an Australian journalist. He was on Joe Rogan a few few months ago. And uh, smart, I forget his name. Smart guy. Really just nice to listen to. But he gave this example of if, you know, the history of kind of, you know, man, like modern man was in a book. And the book was 800 pages or whatever. And each page had 200 years on it. 
like every page up until like the last fucking page, you know, two and a half page, like page and a half would be the same thing. Yeah. Like surviving, eating, mm-hmm. kind of like shelter, whatever, like nothing really changed. Mm-hmm. And then in the last couple of 300 years, 250 years, shit has gone like nuts. Yeah. A I mean, lot of we, stuff. We, is- we, we, I'm reading this book right now, Race to Hawaii, about the first kind of, you know, flight to um, flight to Hawaii from California, huh. right, right after Lindbergh. These two guys, it was a great, great book. But that was 1927, right? Yeah. The fucking airplane just was like first happened in I 1903, know. right? Yeah. So, so you go Commercial from Commercial aviation is just like insane when you You go from 1903 it. to like, you know, 20 some years later to like flying across the Atlantic and then the Pacific. And then like 20 years after that, you have like, you know, start jets and then you, and then you have like, and you're in space. Yeah. It's amazing. You're in space. <laughs> like 50, like, you know, 50 years. I'm like, waiting for the even... high speed tube, the like tube rail across the country. I want to get from New York to LA. Oh, is that the Elon Musk thing? Uh, yeah. I want to get from New York to LA in an hour and a half. That would be dope. Is it you that, imagine? Is it that, it's, I don't think it's that. Well, I don't know that that's really going to happen, but that's like the vision is like three hours. Yeah. Like in a train. I think the SR, the SR 71, you know, that Blackbird, that really long, Mach, it's like a mock, yeah, it was like a Mach three. It was, it was, you know, the really super. It flies up in space. Basically, they have to wear. It's just really. Oh yeah, like the advanced. oxygen suit. Yeah. Anyways, that that, that went from L.A. To, I think that went from L.A. to New York in like an hour and a half. It's really nuts when like you think about that. Crazy. Well, like especially like, again, I've been reading all this history about the 19th century and like the Donner Party. I read a whole book about the Donner Party. Oh yeah. How one. long it takes to get from like Springfield, Illinois, to like the Sierra Nevada mountain range, which you could get on an airplane in one and a half hours. You could be there. <laughs> Took them like an entire year. Who basically. Was that? Somebody was on some comedian. Who the fuck was that? I was on Conan a while ago and they were like, you know, bitching about people, people are, you know, my, my luggage isn't ready. And yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, well, before when you like flew across the country, like when you got there, you were a different person. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes. You got there and you like were a whole different person. Yeah. Louis C.K. had a bit about that. Before I think it was, Louis, to, it was Louis C.K. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He talked about the people complaining about no Wi-Fi on the airplane. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, why don't you focus on the fact that you are yeah, in a tube no. flying across the country and you're landing on these little tiny tires on the tarmac in five hours instead of the fact that there's no Wi-Fi. Yeah, it was, it was Louis C.K. It was a Conan thing and it was that bit where... He's like, oh, I, I can't get out of the computer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how fast you go, though, from like thinking this is an amazing invention to like, why isn't this working right? Like I was, t- my dad was telling me about, I don't know, he was reading something about when they, the telephone first came to Paris and everyone was like so amazed with it. And then it took like three weeks for people to start complaining that it wasn't working the way it w- mm-hmm. they wanted it to. So yeah, you know, people are never happy, I guess. Aviation is really interesting because commercial aviation, you know, since like the 60s, it really hasn't changed. No. In it, fact, it's actually uh, speeds of like flight times have gone, have gotten slower because they figured out if you fly at a slower speed, the, you know, the fuel consumption. So so we've actually, in some ways, it's been kind of stalled out. And if you look yep. at, the, if you see pictures of like aviate, like commercial aviation in the 50s and 60s, I mean, it looked like really luxury. I mean, Granted, probably only a few people could afford That's when it. Everyone but everyone dressed up and got on a yeah, train like in a suit and tie, and wine, mm-hmm. and you know, like like champagne. It's like dinner. going to the opera or something. But but now now it's you're like, now you're in your pajamas and a juicy couture sweatsuit and a pillow. I know it's. it's <laughs> We've gone from like a suit and tie on an airplane to juicy on my butt pajamas. Do you have those juicy ones? I don't. I'm just. I see like teenage girls wearing that on an airplane all the time. I would. I would. Uh, I'd make a sweatpants uh, joke, but I don't want to do a Zach, Zach Fields here. Remember that? 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Oops. That was really awkward. Oh, my God. I, I actually, wa- it was like. Cringe, as the kids say. That was for the, the, he, the Sarah Rasmussen oh, kind of. Cringe. I, I watched it like four times each time thinking maybe I'm missing something. Maybe. And each time I watched it, it got worse. Yeah. It didn't get better. It got worse. There's a lot. The thing is, it's like in talking about technology in this era where everyone has a video recorder in their pocket, you know, it's just so easy to capture so many cringy moments. So you have two kids, so you're, you're dealing with probably the whole different level of technology with. Yeah. Because your kids are what? You're They're high school uh, age? Or? Well, almost. Yeah. So my daughter will be in high school next year. She's 14 and my son's 11. So, so, so I know some parents... The kids don't have phones. Some do have phones, but they limit like. She's got a phone because I just don't like to manage her life for her. He has like a, a watch, an Apple watch, because he would lose a phone. But it's good for keeping track of them. They're kind of like free range. And so if I he, he goes off into the flats and runs around with his friends on the, their bikes. and Free like range a, kids. They're pretty free range. Yeah. I think Juno probably is a good place to raise. I mean. You really can't go. I mean, I'm pr- where I, can you go? I call myself a submarine parent. I'm like not a helicopter mom. I'm a su- I'm a submarine mom. You're, you're kind of quietly lurking. I'm lurking. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a hover. Well, I well my daughter's like 14, going on 80. She like listens to podcasts and runs on the treadmill and does yoga and knits and stuff. So like old soul. She's an old soul. Yeah, she's got like a 4.0. I don't have to worry about her. My son's a little bit more of a wild card. So see, if I ever have kids, I don't know. I, I have a lot of my friends have kids and. I'm really going for the boys. I think they're probably a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. In my case, I would say my boy is harder than my girl. He's, But he's more emotionally complex, and I relate to him more on an emotional level, which is interesting. Yeah, see, I have a sister, so it was always kind of like I was more with great parents, you know, but my, I was kind of more with the mom, and my sister was more like took the my dad. Oh, that's interesting. Is Are you the younger? I'm the older. The older, okay. You're your you're only child, or you're? I'm an only child. Wow. They were like, we're done. After the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look what we've done. Exactly. Speaking of the phone, though, I wanted to just, I f- wanted to say, uh, a friend of mine was meeting me for a podcast in Anchorage a few weeks ago, and uh, she was late because her kid was like driving 16 and driving the car or something. And she got there, and I mentioned to, to her, I said, wow, I just I remember getting my driver's license. I actually got very lucky. In New Mexico, I turned 15 on December 21st. I guess it was 99. And that year, the legislature had passed a law, like, changing how people got driver's licenses and the age and the permit and all that. But before they changed it, you could get your full driver's license at 15. And the effective date of the new law was January 1st, like, 2000. So you made your 15-year-old license by, like, nine days. Yes, yes. So so growing up, I was, like, all my friends, I was always, because, like, the new one, you had to, like, provisional, and you couldn't drive after midnight, and, like, like, you couldn't only have one passenger. But I was, like, me and a few friends were born before that, you know, got the license. We were kind of the... But anyways, I told her, I said, it's just like, when I got my license, it was like so empowering. I'd get in the car and I could just go. Right. Right. I remember like vividly the feeling of being in the car and like not relying on the parents and I could just drive somewhere. But she told me, um, she's like, yeah, we have this like app where we can like track him. That's so funny. And I was like, whoa, I I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. I'm not into the tracking. Because when I was... You know, we all do things. You go somewhere to a park. You know, you, you maybe shouldn't be doing something, but like you're, it's you're learning. You're free. You're you're figuring things out. Yeah, I'm not into that. I, I well, I grew up with a lot of benign neglect. I mean, my parents both worked full time. They were out of my business. I grew up in New York City. I had free range of the city, subway, bus, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
before cell phones, before any of this. So, so you were born in what? You were born in seventy-seven. Okay, so you were like kind of growing up in the eighties, like and then late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, yeah, early nineties in New York. So it's just like with no technology. So I don't know. I I respect my kids' privacy too. Like I don't snoop in her, my daughter's phone. I don't. I mean, occasionally I'll sort of audit what they're up to, like take a peek, like what kind of website, like browser history or something. But they're like, my son is like watching fishing videos and Dude Perfect. And my daughter is What's looking, Dude Perfect? looking up TikTok recipes. Oh, you don't know about Dude Perfect? I don't think so. Dude Perfect is like a bunch of bros doing like sports tricks and um, pranks and stuff. It's like jackass, but g-rated jackass okay so it's like video yeah all right i've not heard of that yeah you gotta google it it's like perfect fifth grade boy level humor so yeah when I, i'm thinking thinking that when i was a kid like i had i was probably 11 12 so like mid 90s i had a friend and he lived near me and i'd go over to his house and there was this big development near his house and we'd go it was in Mexico, so it was this big desert kind of area, mm-hmm. and they were, like, developing it. We'd go, and there was these kind of, like, manhole things, but it was, like, in a big desert area, and there was these big tunnels. And we would, like, crawl into the tunnels, like, through these little metal, you know, ladder things that are, like, in the cement, and we'd, like, play in there, and there's, like, you know, bottles, and people were probably getting high. We weren't doing right. that. We were just, like, you know, seeing these, like, remnants of parties, and I was, like, looking back, I was, like, man, fuck. You know, it was, like, I, I could have got really hurt. I but know. no phone. No, no, you know, I know. We had no way to, like, we were kind of, we had a, just yeah. f- we figured it out. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in like a new era of surveillance culture, and it's like really tempting to just like surveil your children at all times. And I just, I mean, maybe I'm just like too lazy t- to do that. But I just think it's like, like you said, they need to learn. They need to have their privacy. So the way the way it works is like, if you get a kid a phone, you you can you can set it up where you have full access. You, you can like access I, the phone. I, you can see everything. Right. I guess so. I don't have any. I of think that. I think I have friends who have kids that they. Yeah, they, they can monitor everything. I think they you, can even monitor like when they can use it. I think you can do all that. I mean, I think you can exert like maximum parental control over these phones. Um, but I mean, I think it also just like depends on the kid. Like my son doesn't have a phone yet, but you know, my daughter is a very responsible phone user, like as far as I know. Like I wonder how many of these I wonder how many of these like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year olds get like burners. <laughs> I mean, you have, to have, you have, to have money, money, obviously, for that. But like, yeah. if you have Wi-Fi, you know, you have your phone. When I was a kid, it was like pagers. All the drug dealers had pagers. The teenage yeah. drug dealers, remember that? I, oh yeah, I remember the pagers. Yeah, you were like a badass if you had, yeah, a, if pager. You had a pager. People oh, were like, you're that, guy, that guy's legit. Guy's into something totally. I remember my first, my first parents' first cell phone. It was like the bag phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like a bag was with like a battery, gigantic. and it was like you know, like you had to hold it. And I was like, thought I was so cool. I carried it like I was a kid. I was like, car- like carrying it around, yeah. and it was like. My dad's like, don't use that fucking thing because it was like a dollar a minute or whatever right. it was. It was like expensive. It looks like uh, like a Ghostbusters backpack. Yeah, it's, it's like some bizarre. And then and then you get the remember, remember the old Motorola, the big fat like flip phone flip thing mm-hmm. that would that would you know I mean it was like look at this iPhone. It's like it's amazing that size, but it, it was like one one ev- thousandth of the power. It's replaced every consumer electronic known to man in like one little box. I mean, to be honest, I love these phone, phone, but I fucking hate them at the same time. I mean, I really hate my dependence on it. It's addictive, too. It really is. And it's like everybody expects an instant response. You expect to have instant response. It's like 
feeds this culture of like I woke up this morning constant communication I woke up this morning I had like 18 texts yeah it's really stressful and it's like you have to like set your own limits on it because otherwise you can go insane constantly responding to it yeah and then then sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll get on you know Facebook for a second I'll watch a video and then you watch the next video and what's and that before you know it like a couple hours have gone by yeah like all happened? this time goes by like i, I could have been reading yeah. or i could have been sleeping well or... at a certain amount a certain point in time i just put down my phone for the night and i start reading I, that's the last thing i do before i go to bed every night is read a book with paper like not on a kindle not on a phone i know me too I'm, i I have, I have a book club i do and a lot of people do audiobook or they get kindle i, I, I need, like I need to book. hold it and then i can put my phone down and i can me too you know i can just kind of focus on that i love it it's like my favorite thing to do when i'm having downtime and it, it's really good for like de detoxing from the digital for a while you know so i'm always reading a book and so i make sure that's the last thing i do before i go to bed at night so um coming up on over an hour here. That was an hour here. Love that. Shit, I have to, yeah, I have a one o'clock meeting. Okay, well, uh, so last thing, I guess, what's the case we talked about before? What, what do you think is the timeline of that? Do you have any idea? Or? I don't know. Um, hopefully within a year, you know, I would hope to get it resolved one way or the other. I mean, if it takes another year, I wouldn't be surprised, but. Is we'll there a, is there a scenario, what, what about the scenario where if Dunleavy were to like lose election, I mean, the, the next administration could handle it. Yeah, that always it, happens. Up, so. Exactly. I mean, the litigation is so there. There's it's no rush the to get it done before he's... No, not at all. Especially because I don't have the qualified immunity problem. So so you're another enemy of the state. I guess so. If you will. I'm happy to be one. I think we're very different people, but we're also very similar people. We are. We, yeah, have, we have a lot. We have a similar philosophy about a lot of things. Kindred, kindred spirits. Absolutely. Is your mom in town? Is she here? She is. I think we need to get her on the podcast. We do need I, to I've get her I've seen some of the home. videos you post and she's, she seems... She's hilarious. She seems yeah. great. She's only here for another week, but um, she'll be back in the summer, so we should get her on the podcast. Hey, you want to go over to the Capitol? They're having the Oath Keepers hearing. You want to go check oh, that out? Geez, I, go? Would, I would love to, but I have another <laughs> meeting I have to do, so... Riveting stuff. Yeah, I bet. All right, well, we'll be back, Laura. Thanks for coming on. We'll do another one of these. Um, I still think you should do your own podcast. Um, Insisting that you start that. I don't know. I just feel like there's a there's podcast glut in the airwaves. I don't know that we need another podcast. There's a lot of podcasts. I, I try to. You got to find a little niche. I got my little kind of politi- last politics. I don't you know. have a niche. I'm, I'm happy just to be a guest on other people's podcasts. OPP. Oh, oh, I'm like down that. with OPP. There, yeah, you know me. You know me. Well, there's your there's your building. There's my building. So we look at that. We're, We're right there. Very close. So all right, we'll do it again. Let me back, Laura. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, and, Jeff. Um, if folks want to find you, they can go on Twitter. I think right. That's Twitter, Facebook, the blog. You know, try to try to not slide into those DMs. Too don't, don't, right? I avoid the DMs. <laughs> All right, Libby. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. All right, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline. Landline.